From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, February 2nd. The Utah Cold Case Coalition investigates unsolved murders and disappearances in the state. Last week, volunteers were here in Moab looking into a 30-year-old case. Justin Higginbottom speaks with them and reports on Utah's current slate of unsolved homicides. Kara Porter is standing with her colleague outside of the Grand County Justice Court. They just finished a morning of record digging. We are going through some old mining records and deed records, following up on some information that we've been provided about the missing person. The gist is that Robert Marvin went missing Labor Day weekend, 1984. Marvin was a geologist who lived in Albuquerque. He owned several mining claims in the Moab area, and he also reportedly had a girlfriend in town, says Porter. That local, who is no longer alive, has long been a suspect in his disappearance. He supposedly left town on a Monday, Monday morning at 9.30 or so, to head back to Albuquerque where he lived, but he never showed up. And his body has not been found to this day. Everybody thinks it's a body. That's Tom Harvey, a former Salt Lake Tribune reporter who's also working on the case. Five years earlier, Marvin's wife was found murdered in a parking garage of the Albuquerque airport. That case was also never solved. Here's Porter again. But we've recently come into quite a bit of new information, new to us, that is helping us put together a timeline and also is helping us confirm what was told to us as a, a motive for murder. Her group has been working on this case for over a year, and she thinks this might be the break they've been looking for. The Utah Cold Case Coalition was founded because of the 1995 murder of six-year-old Rosie Tapia in Salt Lake City. That remains unsolved, but along the way, Porter's group has picked up a number of other investigations. We co-founded the organization and had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. The number of cases that are unresolved was well over double what we thought. And a lot of families feel like maybe the law enforcement maybe don't have the resources. You know, it's hard to go back 30 years on a case. Well, that's what we do. For Porter, cold cases are personal. You know, my grandfather is a cold case. And sometimes I realize that, I, you know, we, we're never going to know on that one because we started too late. Here's Harvey again. And sometimes even the most simple stuff can lead to some really great discoveries about a case because it helps you put together a timeline or make sense of something else you know about the case, you know, type of thing. It's what many are hoping for in the homicide investigation of Crystal Turner and Kylan Schulte. It's been over five months since their deaths, but that case isn't cold yet. The Grand County Sheriff's Office and the FBI are still actively investigating. Porter says there are challenges in solving crimes in rural areas, like a lack of law enforcement resources. But there are big benefits, too. When she posted a request regarding a small community in eastern Utah, she saw a huge response. And it turned out to be the second most viewed post we'd ever had because people were forwarding it to their grandparents and their uncles and their aunts. And we had an enormous response to that. Thomas Hargrove is a retired journalist and heads the Murder Accountability Project. He says rural cases actually have a better chance at being solved. Rural law enforcement does a much better job of clearing homicides than urban uh, departments. 
And that comes down to an important aspect of policing, community policing, that uh, the police department is intimately involved in the everyday, day-to-day affairs of their community. His organization tracks unsolved homicides nationwide. He says just getting this number is difficult. There are some profoundly broken aspects to how the United States investigates major crimes. Uh, We're quite out of step with most of the Western democracies, uh, starting with the fact that there is no master list for homicide. That's what his organization tries to do, filling in numbers from the FBI with state and tribal data. He says in 2020, Utah police solved less homicide cases than the year before by a significant amount. In 2019, you cleared 73% of your homicides. That's very good. That's better than the national average. But in 2020, it went down to clearing 58%. You just barely cleared half your murders. In 2020, Utah reported 93 murders. That's a record high. He says our state follows a national trend, more homicides, and fewer solved cases. He's still sorting data from 2021, but it doesn't look good. Meanwhile, he says local police could use more funding to help solve cases. Homicides are always local, he notes. And community efforts like the Utah Cold Case Coalition can also go a long way. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. As the impacts of climate change worsen, many are turning their attention to the harmful greenhouse gas methane. Scientists estimate methane is more than 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide. President Biden and other global leaders have promised to cut 30 percent of methane emissions by 2030. In western Colorado, Pitkin County is working with a group of stakeholders to capture a large amount of methane that's been leaking out of abandoned coal mines right above the town of Redstone. Aspen Public Radio's Eleanor Bennett reports for the Rocky Mountain Community Radio series on the transition from fossil fuels in the West. It's late September last year, and the Crystal River Valley is aglow with golden aspen leaves framed by snow-capped peaks. Local climate scientist Chris Kasky is crouching in front of an old mine portal and coal basin that's been filled in with rocks and dirt. Kasky is using a methane sensor to show a group of local stakeholders where a steady stream of air and methane is leaking out from a small hole in the porous earth. You can see those little wild roses are, are blowing in the breeze. That breeze is mostly air that's, that's entering down lower and coming up through, but we measured it earlier. It's uh, almost 2% methane by volume. Coal Basin was once dominated by coal mines that first opened in the late 1800s. This coal was saturated with natural gas, mostly methane, and that's just for geology reasons. And that methane is a minor safety hazard. So during mining, it was vented to protect the miners. And that methane has continued to leak out uh, ever since. When the last of the five mines shut down in the early 90s, the mining company was mandated to restore the area. But Kasky estimates the mines are still leaking over a million cubic feet of methane every day. According to local officials, that's equivalent to over half of Pekin County's reported CO2 emissions each year. That includes all the traffic, all the houses, all the aircraft landing at Aspen Airport. And Pekin County being wealthy is not a low footprint place. 
Kasky says the methane seeping out of the mines isn't concentrated enough to impact hikers or bikers, but it is making its way into the atmosphere and contributing to climate change. It's a huge opportunity to reduce climate pollution because if we can capture this gas and either use it or just destroy it by burning it, that is a a very good thing to do. Representatives from State Senator Michael Bennett's office, Pitkin County, Holy Cross Energy, and others hiked nearly nine miles with Caskey to witness the problem firsthand. For Pitkin County Commissioner Greg Poshman, the trip made the benefits of taking action clear. This may be the easiest way to get a huge bang for our buck to reach our carbon goals, um, you know, certainly by 2030, if not sooner. Kasky says the cheapest solution would be to burn the methane, which creates CO2 instead. And that really looks like wasting it, but right now it's already being wasted, and CO2 is less bad for the atmosphere than methane. Another option is to use the gas leaking out of the mines to generate electricity. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, there were only two other projects of this kind in the country as of 2019. Kasky estimates Coal Basin could produce enough electricity to power about 2,000 homes. But the mining area is located on a mix of Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, and private land. So Pitkin County will need to get permission from individual landowners as well as the federal government. Mona Newton is the former executive director of the Aspen-based Community Office for Resource Efficiency. She's now a consultant on the project with Kasky. She and the stakeholder group have sent letters to state and federal officials asking for their support. But she says the project shouldn't be used as an excuse for Pitkin County to keep polluting the atmosphere. We can't stop working on the emissions that are generated within Pitkin County, but this one is, this will go a long way towards helping to preserve our climate. If the project gets approved, construction could start as soon as next year. Eleanor Bennett, Aspen Public Radio News. This story is part of a new Rocky Mountain Community Radio reporting collaboration on the transition away from fossil fuels. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, February 2nd. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.